standing there at the teller, and an elderly woman walked up to the teller next to me, and she said, can you check my balance? And the teller proceeded to push her over. <laughs> Think about it. Do I need to retell it? She pushed her over. <laughs> okay. All right. They under, yeah, they'll understand that, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Mark chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with, with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they came from the marketplace, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? but eat bread with unwashed hands. He answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, The people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For, lying, for laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said to them, All too well... You reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father and mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban, that is a gift from God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition which you have handed down, and many such things you do. All right. Well, as the Jews went about teaching, as, I mean, as Jesus went about teaching, he often ran afoul of religious leaders about keeping traditions, did he not? Remember in chapter 2, he talked about he was going through and plucking heads of grain, him and the disciples, on the Sabbath. How they questioned him about that. Here we have them talking about eating with unwashed hands. Avoiding the traditions of the elders. And here in this passage, Jesus describes the danger of traditions. The danger of holding traditions of men above the commandment of God. How keeping them can make uh, void the very commandment of God. How keeping them can make one worship in vain before God. Traditions are very important in some religions, right? Uh, I'm going to read a couple things here. In Roman Catholicism, this is straight out of the Catholic Dictionary. It is an article of faith from a decree of the Vatican Council that tradition is a source of theological teaching distinct from Scripture and that it is infallible. It is therefore to be received with the same internal assent of Scripture, for it is the Word of God. This is also out of the Catholic Catechism for adults. Do you have to believe in tradition? Yes. Because it is the Word of God and has equal authority with the Bible. Interesting, right? Well, what are traditions? What, what, what are we talking about here? Uh, what, what are the traditions of the elders that Jesus is referring to here? And 
what's wrong with them? Why is that a problem? Why do we have to be wary of it? The Greek word is, a parad is paradosis, which means a handing down or giving over. And as understood by the Jews, it applied to oral teachings of the elders from Moses on down. Okay? And there were kind of like three classes of tradition, right? You had the oral laws, which were supposedly given by Moses, and in addition, uh, given by those who were judges or elders in the Jewish uh, culture. Uh, decisions by various judges, which may have become precedents in the law that were not part of the Mosaic law. Uh, interpretations of highly respected rabbis who were held in uh, reverence in the Jewish culture. Prior to uh, his, his conversion in Galatians 1, Paul talked about he was a staunch supporter of Jewish tradition, how he tried to follow them to the T as he went about persecuting the Christians. Well, as understood by Romans, Roman and Greek Catholics, these views appear to be parallel to the Jews, right? What they consider traditions is what they believe to be the teachings of Jesus or the apostles that have been preserved orally rather than written at various councils which you can google and see the history of the things that came out of there are considered to be infallible true teachings outside of scripture right of course one is expected to take their word for it that traditions are truly from god jesus is refuting that right as found in the scriptures the word tradition is not found in the old testament the word is actually found 13 times in the new testament and three times, it's referring to apostolic teaching. 1 Corinthians 11 talks about that which was delivered by the apostles, the traditions that were delivered by the apostles. Second Thessalonians 2.15, traditions, whether by word or by epistle from the apostles. And 2 Thessalonians 3.6, which Christians were expected to keep. Paul says, if it's coming from the apostles, it is uh, inspired word, right? It's inspired, whether it's orally, told by the apostles or that's written down then there are 10 times in the new testament where it refers to traditions of the elders or traditions of men such as what we've read here in our text paul warned the colossians in colossians 2 8 about traditions of men remember paul's having to deal with the judaizing teachers right in many of his letters there he just helped he had gone on his missionary journeys Churches had been established in Galatia and other regions, and he's having to go back and say, nope, you don't have to keep the law. The traditions, they're not valid. It's what's written. The command of God is what matters, right? Well, Jesus obviously did not feel bound to abide by the traditions of the elders, right? Some traditions, he might have had no problem. You know, uh, going to a wedding feast, all right? They had a traditional way of going to a wedding feast. You could have a whole study on the Jewish wedding feast and how some of the references we have in the New Testament refer back to a Jewish wedding feast. He had no problem attending the Feast of Dedication. Read about that in John 10, verses 22 and 23. But he just as easily had no problem with violating traditions of men, plucking of the grain, not washing their hands. Now, as a little boy... If I came to the dinner table without washing my hands, what was I told? You didn't wash your hands. Go wash your hands before you can eat. But that wasn't a tradition. That was something to keep me healthy, right? Something to keep everybody else healthy, right? 
These are things that the leaders, the elders had put into law simply by their own ideas, not inspired from God. He never appealed to the traditions ever of the elders. He appealed to authority either by the written word. Remember, when he was tempted, what did he say three times? It is written. Or by his own authority as the son of God. Never, ever did he appeal to the traditions of the elders. Well, not all traditions are wrong. If, if from inspired men, they should be heeded, right? We just read that. But from uninspired men, traditions are very suspect. What are the dangers of following traditions of men or traditions of the elders? Well, he just said, we can have worship that is hypocritical. It's in vain, right? Traditions of men tend toward ritualism. Ritualism, which is something a lot of religions have, right? Uh, I, I, I don't know much about Buddhism or the Eastern religions that much or Islam, but I know that they have a lot of ritualistic practices, don't they? And in Christianity, there are a lot of denominations that have their rituals that they practice constantly. So much so that you kind of go through the motions. You don't even have to think about it, right? Rituals that become cause you to become complacent. And your worship is not from the heart. Your worship is simply something you do. You're going through the motions, kind of like the Braves did this week. It's not something that is heartfelt, right? Traditions of men are taught on some level as commands of God, which causes us to have vain worship. Well, such worship can appear to be impressive, right? But it's really empty. It's really worth it, worthless because God did not command it. And second, because it does not accomplish the good that we really need. It makes the word of God void. That's what we said, we just read there, chapter 7. What do we mean by that? Well, they taught things like a man or a woman could give to the temple in place of taking care of their mother and father. He tells them, Moses commanded you to honor your mother and father, to take care of them. The Jews were obligated by law to take care of their mother and father. They had been taken care of by them as children. When they got older, they were to take care of them, just like we should today. But they could give tithes or money or whatever part of their possessions to the temple, and that would get them out of taking care of their mother and father. What a, what a joke, really. But this was something that they were practicing because of the traditions of the elders, the traditions of men. What do we have today that come from men that you see, particularly in Christianity? I can think of one like, you know, infant baptism, right? Sprinkling instead of immersion. The word baptizo means to immerse. The very word itself that we read in the scripture. Well, we're going to make it convenient. We're just going to put a little water on your head because we, we don't want you to get wet. We, don't, we can't put a baby underwater, so we're going to sprinkle a baby's head. And we're baptizing babies because, you know, we just need to do that. That's a traditional thing, you know. <clears throat> How many of you had friends that, I don't know, Catholic, whatever, where they had to go to the christening of a new baby? Where did that come from? Is that scriptural? I don't see it in there. Interesting how traditions can take over the very command of God. Yes, sir. 
That's a good point. Bill said back in the, in the old days when babies, a lot of babies didn't grow up, they were baptized just in case, right? And that's true. <coughs> Probably helping to lead to some of those traditions, right? Well, we have to be careful about traditions. They can be vain and they can be deadly, right? They lead to people not keeping the word of God. They avoid the commandment of God. And when taught as doctrine, as part of God's word, we have to be very careful to search the scriptures, the word of God. That's why we need to study. That's why we need to have the word of God, word of God on our hearts so we can make discernment about these things, right? Well, we know these things. We know that we shouldn't keep traditions, but somehow, sometimes they tend to creep in, don't they? They tend to all of a sudden come along before we even realize it. Yes, sir. point very good point we cannot know good from evil without his revelation right yeah absolutely all right well moving on let's let's continue to read on there in mark chapter 7 and see what's next what the lord is doing next in verse 14 there of chapter 7 we read when he had called all the multitude to himself he said to them hear me everyone and understand there is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within a man, come from within and defile a man. So as he's confronted by the Pharisees and the scribes here regarding the eating and uncle with unclean hands, Jesus described the danger of traditions, right, and how they can make our worship vain and the command of God void. But then he uses the occasion to treat, teach about true defilement. Interesting how he kind of segues right into that, right? First to the multitude here, and then privately to the disciples. Well, what is he talking about this food that enters the body and is uh, eliminated and, uh, and things that you could eat? Turn over to Genesis 1, if you wish, and let's just read about that. 
Genesis 1, and beginning in verse 29. Sorry. Yeah. And God said, <clears throat> See, I've given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit, fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. And to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. Apparently, at the beginning, Man was vegetarian. The animals were vegetarian, apparently, at the beginning. You may not have realized this. Then turn over to chapter 9 of Genesis. Let's read a few verses from there. Verse 1, So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all, the move, all that move on the earth, and all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast I will require it, from the hand of man. For the hand of man, for the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. Here God is giving over meat. Man was allowed to eat of the other animals now interesting concept in Leviticus chapter 11 I'm not going to read that but there was all kinds of dietary restrictions right remember that and the Jews couldn't eat pork for instance it was unclean right they had certain foods that they were not to eat but Jesus is saying here it's not that food that defiles man it's what comes out of man what comes out of the heart here he's basically declaring all foods are clean interesting the multitude hears this and uh wondering what is he talking about the disciples are trying to understand right while the law of moses was enforced jesus kept it obviously right you can read that very plainly in matthew 5 verse starting at verse 17 he's here at the house of israel he's here to fulfill the law right he's here to fulfill prophecy but it's interesting there at the end of that statement, he, Mark has a parenthetical statement, right, of, from Jesus that says, it's not, in it, what, because it does not enter the heart, but his stomach and is eliminated. And notice, thus purifying all foods. Parenthetical statement explaining that line saying, everything's good, right? Everything's fine. <clears throat> foods is not a problem. It's what comes from the heart. Paul even later taught that all food is acceptable in 1 Timothy 4. Teaching to abstain from foods, which would be a sign of apostasy, but nothing to be refused when received with thanksgiving and prayer. There are a few exceptions. Let's, let's look at that for a minute. And let's go over to Acts chapter 15. Talk about that council that they did have in Jerusalem, remember? <clears throat> Beginning of verse... Uh, 28. This is after they had met with, the, with Paul and the, the apostles there, and it says, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. This is what they left that meeting and saying they're going to tell the Gentiles. These are the things we're going to tell them. Not that they have to be circumcised or keep the Mosaic law. 
but simply these few things. And what are they getting at there? Well, <clears throat> in this time, there was great idolatry, right? And you could actually purchase things in the marketplace that had been sacrificed to idols. It was prevalent in the marketplace, prevalent in their society and their culture. And so as a Christian who's being told there is one God, you are to have no other gods before him, you can imagine how that might affect a young Christian, a pagan person, Gentile, who doesn't understand the law, but sees a Christian going by meat that was sacrificed to an idol, or eating meat that was sacrificed to an idol. That could be a problem. And that's why Paul and the apostles decide to tell them this, to abstain from that, because it is so prevalent. Turn to 1 Corinthians 8. Let's see what he said about that, though. <clears throat> First Corinthians 8 and beginning in verse 8. He says, But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. But beware lest somewhat how this liberty of yours, liberty to eat, whatever you wish, becomes a stumbling block for those who are weak. For anyone sees you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? For when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. So Paul is saying, it's not that eating of the meat sacrificed to idols is anything. It's just meat. But if you have a weaker brother, a new Christian, a pagan Christian who would think, what are you doing? No need to do it. You might as well abstain from it. Might as well not do it, right? And we have things like that in our lives today, do we not? There are things that we're free to eat and do, but we have to be careful, lest we set an example that might cause one to say, you're a hypocrite. The church is a hypocrite. There's just a bunch of idiots and hypocrites up there. I'm not going there. See how that can happen? Jesus is saying man has a heart problem. What defiles a man is not what comes into his body and is eliminated, but what comes out of the heart. It becomes deceitful, hardened, gets affected by sin, and then evil thoughts come about that lead to that true defilement. Evil thoughts generated in the heart unite with one's will to produce evil words and deeds. Evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, Murders, thefts, covetousness, which makes one an idolater. Wickedness, deceit, lewdness, the evil eye, which is a Hebrew idiom for stinginess or not being generous. Blasphemy, pride, foolishness, just a lack of common sense. We are to have some common sense as Christians, right? We are to be rational and slow to anger, right? Think about things. Interesting concept. Something that Sometimes we kind of forget, though, don't we? We kind of don't think about it. Well, I'm free to do this. Who says I can't do this? Shouldn't your attitude be a little different there maybe sometimes? Shouldn't your attitude be, I want everybody to go to heaven, therefore I'm going to do whatever I have to do or not do to get as many people to heaven as I can. And if that means I have to set an example to someone that's weaker than me, 
I'm going to do it. Yeah, I can go on to teach them, to help them. I want to do that, but I don't want to do anything that's going to make them stumble and not become Christian or not be in heaven with me. All right, let's move on to the next few verses. We're starting to run out of time here. By the way, somebody fixed our clock, so it's actually ahead of me today. I'm behind it. All right, Mark chapter 7, verse 24. From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre Sidon, and he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syro or Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. And then he said to her, For this saying, go your way. And the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. Turn over to Matthew chapter 15 and let's read Matthew's account. There's a few more things Matthew says that's not mentioned here in Mark's account. Matthew 15, verse 21. He says, Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre Sidon. Behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Here we read that this woman, who is a Gentile, Canaanite woman, honors Jesus as the son of David. Interesting. Matthew says he answered her not a word. He ignored her. Interesting, right? And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps coming out after us. He's, she keeps pestering the disciples. She won't leave them alone. And he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Oh, there we go. Now I understand what's going on here. When you just read Mark's account, it, it, it's, he's, it sounds almost a little mm, cruel, doesn't it? He's ignoring the woman. He's not wanting to do this for her until he realizes how great her faith is. But it's because he was sent to the house of Israel. Remember the limited commission we talked about last couple weeks? How it was only to go to the house of Israel at this time? He was here for the house of Israel. He had come to fulfill the law. 20, verse 25, then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread, or the Israelites, right, the children of God, and throw it to the little dogs. Sounds cruel, but he's talking about those who are not God's people. Then Jesus, and she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And Jesus said to her, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Interesting concept here, right? Jesus is here for the house of Israel. He is teaching the disciples who are to become apostles about what it means to be Christ, what it means to live as a Christian and the word, what's all behind the Old Testament. They're learning these things as they go. They don't fully understand, and he's trying to help them along. That's why he teaches in parables a lot, right? They can't fully grasp it yet. He's here to the house of Israel at this time. It's not that he didn't love this woman. We realize he did. And he did something for her, a Gentile woman, just like he did for the centurion. There in, uh, remember Matthew uh, 15, uh, not Matthew 15, 
Well, he did as attorney did for someone else. You remember uh, Cornelius, the first Gentile convert? Of course, that's in Acts. That's in the New Testament. Jesus responds to her faith. He responds to this woman who says, if you'll just let me eat of the crumbs that fall from the table, I know that my daughter can be healed. That is pretty great, great faith, right? She just wants the daughter to be healed. She knows he can do it. She's begging whatever it takes to get it done. That's great faith. That you would be willing to grovel, eat of the crumbs that fall off the table, right? For your daughter's health. We had these other Gentiles. Remember the Cornelius we're talking about? The centurion at Capernaum back in Matthew 8, who was eating of the crumbs. You might say Cornelius got to come to the table, though, because once Jesus had died and was uh, risen and ascended, then he did what? Made the Great Commission, right? Go out into not just the house of Israel, all the world, making disciples of every nation. He expanded the scope. He expanded the teaching. He was not going to carry that out. That was what the followers the disciples, the apostles were going to do. He had now given them the commission to go out into all the world. And aren't we grateful for that? I am. I'm thankful that that happened. I might not have ever known about him otherwise, right? Interesting, right? <laughs> we're no longer without Christ. We're no longer alien from the commonwealth of Israel. We're no longer strangers from that covenant of promise, Remember? told Abraham he's going to make him a great nation and through Abraham would come Jesus the scepter would never leave the tribe of Judah we have hope we're no longer those without God in the world how did that happen brought about by the blood of Christ reconciled as one body of Christ we are come to him through that one spirit and we have fellowship at the table with all the saints. That's kind of what he's getting at here, right? We're seeing a wonderful miracle being performed, but we're also getting a wonderful lesson at the time as well, right? Jesus is for all. This should help us to uh, remember Christ is our Savior, right? It should be something that motivates us to come to the table, not just to sit back and eat the crumbs now. We are part of that kingdom of heaven. We are part of the children of God. We have that hope just as the Jews, just anyone who believes in him. All right, we're about to run out of time. Let's move on. Verse 31 there in chapter 7. <clears throat> Again, he parting from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears. And he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. He has done all things well. 
Has Jesus done something for you? Anything? Something? More than you expected? Less? Here we have Jesus being asked to heal a deaf and mute man. And he's left the region of Tyre and Sidon. He's gone through Decapolis, which is the area of ten cities southeast of Galilee, or Sea of Galilee. And these are mostly Gentiles. They had a Hellenistic or Greek culture. And they say, truly, he's honoring the God of Israel. The God of Israel is great. You can tell that by what they're saying. They're referring to Jesus as being from the God of Israel, not in present tense, they're kind of like a third person there, right? So when this man heal, is healed, it, uh, well, it begins even more people proclaiming Christ, who he is. I mean, he's already famous, right? He's already known throughout the region, but this just adds more to it. If you'll turn over to Matthew 15 real quick, he does add a few more details of this as well. And that's the part where he talks about the God of Israel. Matthew 15, verse 29. Jesus departed there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up on the mountain and sat down there. Hmm. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Jesus heals the deaf mute. People bring deaf mute to Jesus and beg him to heal him. Aside from the multitude, he takes them aside, away from them. And it's interesting how this miracle is described, right? First of all, the response was great. The people are astonished. He has done all things well. He commands them to tell no one, and they widely proclaim it. But a couple observations here, right? Why do you think he goes into detail about how Jesus performed this miracle. He's deaf and he's mute, right? He can't speak, he can't hear, he can only see. So obviously he knows about him, he can understand, I guess, that much. But Jesus is most likely using sign language to tell this man who he is and what's about to happen. He puts his fingers in his ears, saying, I will do something for your ears. He touches his tongue. I'm going to do something for your speech. Spits on the ground. Perhaps a sign of healing. At that time, the saliva was considered to have some medicinal properties. And then the sigh and the look to heaven, saying, I am from above. This is coming from God. And then the man is healed. He can speak and he can hear. And it says immediately, it wasn't like he had to learn how to speak. He knew how to speak immediately. I mean, can any of you speak Spanish or French in here? Maybe some of you can. If it's not your first language, how long did it take you to learn it? Pretty long time, right? Astonished that he was able to do these things. Of course, this was all before his amazing death and resurrection. And he has done all things well, and that was what they were astounded by, that he could do it. Remember we said, when he did a miracle, he did it. Not like faith healers today, 
When he did something, it happened, and it happened immediately. Has Jesus done all things well for you? Has he given you rest for your soul? Something that was mentioned at Jim's funeral this Thursday. He told the doctors when he was there, don't worry about me. I know where I'm going. <laughs> Would you be able to say that when you're laying there on your deathbed? When you're about to have surgery and you're a little worried about it? Does he give you peace that the world cannot give? I remember Jolene had to have surgery one time years ago. and We were there at the hospital like 5 in the morning getting ready. We are in a room with other people preparing for surgeries. Had a couple others come by and pray with us. I remember how that felt. How honored I was to know that I had righteous men praying for Jolene's surgery. And I was looking around and I could see other people how... They had a little fear in their eyes. I could see their faces. And I thought about that. Thinking, I am so blessed to have this. I don't know what those people were going through, but I'm sure there were some that were pretty serious. Well, all of them were serious. But not all of them had that peace. Right? Jesus gives us that. Has he saved you from your sins? Well, if you don't know that, you're not going to have the peace. You're not going to have the joy, right? God often asks his people, Genesis 18, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Numbers 11, is the Lord arm, Lord's arm been shortened? Isaiah 50, is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Micah 2, is the Spirit of the Lord restricted? If your life is kind of, I don't know what the best word, not going the way you want it to, if you don't have the peace and the joy, if you don't know where you're going, maybe it's time you did something about it. Maybe it's time you started getting in the Word, in prayer, Maybe you need to respond to the gospel. And you know, today's as good a day as any. All right, our time is up. Thanks for being here.